This is episode number 279. How do you leverage the resources within your fingertips? With J.R. Martinez. Welcome. My name is Ola Glohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements, first one being in regard to our work, and that is if our work has had any form of impact in your life or helped you see your world through a different lens, please consider supporting our mission by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our weekly conversation that takes place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time called Survive to Thrive, Live the Story You Create. What this is, if this is your first time hearing about it, is a series of conversations where we explore the connection between one's inner narrative and the topics of grief, resilience, appreciation, and many other topics. If this is of interest to you, please consider joining us live through Facebook or LinkedIn on any given Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, where you'll be able to share your own insights and perspectives as it relates to each and every single topic. Now, let's get back to the show. JR, welcome to the show. Thank you for so much for having me, man. It's a pleasure. No, absolutely. Thank you for having the uh, what I call the podcast prior to the podcast. So I'm glad that we're <laughs> able to <laughs> hit, the re- hit the record button and, and finally make this conversation accessible to anyone else that's listening. But you know, one of the things that really stood out to me from your story and your background and your experience, as well as what you had shared with me prior to us hitting the record button here, and that's this concept of resources in, in this question of how can you leverage the resources that are within your fingertips or how can you recognize the resources that are available around you? And I'm curious, and, and maybe this is the best way to even kick off this conversation at hand as far as your own journey and your own background when did you begin to realize that you actually had resources surrounding you, especially in situations where you didn't feel like you had any to begin with? Yeah, great question, man. Um, I think for me, honestly, when I think when people think of resources, right, they're thinking of like third party, um, you know, devices or mm-hmm. platforms. I think for me, at the very beginning, um, 18 years ago, after I was injured in Iraq, being 19 years old, soon to turn 20, I think when I discovered the resources that I had within myself, I think that was the first thing I had to uh, identify is that I myself already had the resources and in some cases, the tools that I needed in order to be able to transition into creating a new identity for myself. Because the identity that I knew prior to my injury was obviously my appearance is the way I looked for 19 years of my life. Suddenly I looked at myself in the mirror and I did not recognize who that person was. The identity that I, of being in the military, of wearing a uniform, and then suddenly I'm told that I couldn't remain in the United States Army. So my identities were completely stripped away from me. 
And, and so what I mean by me recreating myself and creating new identities for myself, first, I was in a space in a space of being completely lost. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I think the biggest thing that allowed me to understand that I had the tools and the resources was the first time I was asked to visit a patient. I was sort of killing time at the hospital in between appointments one day. This is about six months after I was injured. And one of the nurses asked me to visit a patient who, you know, was injured similar to me and, and, and was starting the journey yet. I was six months ahead of him. And uh, she said, just go in and talk to him, tell him how things have gotten better for you. And I just resisted this notion of like, no, I don't want to know. Like, and she said, why not? And I said, well, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I, I don't have the tools and the resources to be able to share with him the things that I think that he needs to hear in order to be able to, you know, persevere through this, you know, incredible amount of adversity that he's facing and she just insisted, man. She just kept pushing me like, no, no, no. I think you do just going to talk to him. And I remember walking into his room. It was in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. it, the room was completely dark. All the lights were off. And I just walked up to my room, walked into his room and walked up to his bed and introduced myself. And then when I was done, I started to turn around and I said, hey, man, I'll come back tomorrow and check on you. And before I could exit the room, I stopped in the doorway and I turned around and looked back into the room and I noticed that the light above his bed was on and he was also opening the curtain to a window, which he was letting more light into the room. For me, that said so much. It, it allowed me to understand that I did have an impact on him, that I was able to, in a very, you know, sort of cliche way, shed some light on this dark road that he was on, right? And I, I think that was the first time I was able to really identify that I myself had the tools I myself had the resources, the ability to actually impact another life in this way that I never thought of before. And um, th then I then, you know, I was sort of stuck in this space, too, where I thought I was by myself. You know, it, it was just me on and this that. journey. And then I, I then I started connecting with people and paying attention that there were abundance amount of people that had either walked in my shoes and knew exactly what I was going through or people that had no idea what I was going through had never been through my experience, but could relate in the sense of dealing with adversity, could relate to the fact that change has been presented to them in their life, could relate to the fact that all of a sudden they're having to, at whatever stage, recreate an identity for themselves, reinvent themselves. And because all of us are having to do that, right? So many of us are you know, if, if, if you're, you know, in your thirties and, and higher, your, your identity is maybe entrenched in, this is my career that I've had. This is the job that I had. This is, I, I was married or I had this amount of kids, or this is where we lived. And this is the style. All of a sudden something changes, right? Unfortunately, maybe there's loss either in a divorce or you lose someone, someone passes away or you lose a job or you lose a house and you have to relocate, right? There's constant moments in our lives that we're having to recreate ourselves and come up with a new identity. And I think it's those individuals that are willing to look around and pay attention to the, what I call the signs of life are the ones that are able to actually adapt and to be able to recreate themselves and create a probably a better version of themselves that they ever knew was possible. And I think that's where I started to thrive is once I paid attention to the fact that, that I had people around me that were willing to listen to me, that were willing to elevate me. All I had to do was literally just pay attention to them and trust whatever they were saying to me and just go down that road. What happened in Iraq, if you don't mind me asking? 
Yeah, so I was driving a Humvee through a city called Karbala on the 5th of April of 2003 when the front left tire of the Humvee that I was driving ran over a roadside bomb. Immediately, I was thrown out of the vehicle. I mean, the other three soldiers were thrown out of the vehicle. I was trapped inside. And, you know, we had ammo. We had all our gear with us. So the explosion of this roadside bomb essentially detonated everything we had inside the vehicle, which, you know, like I said, ammo and 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 we had a, a couple like missiles and all of a sudden, man, it sounded like a 4th of July show. Things are heating up and things are shooting off left and right. I'm completely conscious for the five minutes I'm trapped inside of this Humvee. And I'm just thinking to myself, I can't get out. I'm going to die. And I start embracing this concept, this idea that I'm going to lose my life in this way, in this place. And I can tell you that the only thing that allowed me to really get through, and I can't really pinpoint why I felt this way, is that there were a couple of moments, instances throughout those five minutes that I was trapped inside of the Humvee, where my eyes would get so heavy, right? Because I'm just constantly, I'm losing so much energy. And I remember getting to the point where my eyes were on the verge of closing. And I remember thinking to myself, this feels so good to not fight. It feels so good to not fight. Meaning when I, my eyes were open and I was screaming and yelling and asking for someone to pull me out. I mean, it, 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 it took a lot of energy, expelled a lot of out of me. But when I closed my eyes, it was sort of this element of, of meditation of where I was just kind of in this place. And there was a, a thing happening around me, but I wasn't connected to it. I was more connected to my thoughts and my feelings. And my feelings were, man, it feel, I feel so at peace right now. My thoughts were, well, wait a minute. If I keep my eyes closed, that means I'm giving up. I can't keep my eyes closed. I have to open my eyes mm -hmm. and continue fighting for someone to hopefully come and pull me out. And I had this, I had this hope, man. I really had hope that someone was going to come pull me out of this Humvee. And I had no reason to believe that simply besides my own, my own makeup, my own way of manifesting this belief. Was I somebody of faith prior to my injury? No, I, I, I mean, no, I grew up in a household that was but I wouldn't necessarily say that I was deeply embedded in it. Um, I just had this hope, man. And five minutes later, two of my sergeants pulled me out. And as I say, that's what started the road to recovery. Mm. It's fascinating for, for me to hear that story for a couple of reasons. A is I think this concept of hope and how it actually manifests. I, I, I don't personally have the answer to where it starts and how it ends and everything in between. But I, I find it interesting how in, in those situations as the one that you described, I've been through similar moments, not necessarily war related, but maybe a different battle and then different battlefield, so to speak. But it's, it's in those moments where everything is going south and nothing seems to work out. And yet somehow I know for me, I'll always find a way to find a resource, to create a resource out of things that didn't exist or didn't previously seem to exist. And, I, and I'm curious to, in hearing from you based on the story that you just shared, as well as I'm sure numerous other stories, how do you personally begin to manifest that process? How do you turn something that once upon a time did not seem tangible, something that you couldn't even grasp, and then all of a sudden it becomes real, and then it becomes even more real, and then it becomes something that you can actually use to take that next step forward? Well, first and foremost, I think it's important to highlight that you can't overlook previous adversities. 
we have a tendency at times in life that if it isn't a major adversity, if it isn't, if it isn't a major um, catastrophic event that took, takes place in your life, we tend to overlook the different scenarios that we're presented with, the challenges. Mm-hmm. And we miss that within those experiences, there's lessons, there's opportunities for growth, right? There's a lot of opportunities for you to learn about yourself. Now, listen, it, it, for me at 19 years old to be in this position of sort of having this hope and, and developing this and just holding on to that, I really believe was established ever since I was a child. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I, I've faced a lot of adversity in my youth. My father left when I was nine months old. He wasn't in my life. I was raised by a single woman. My mother was a victim of domestic abuse. We moved around a lot in the first nine years of my life in the same city, just moved to different areas and different parts of whatever she could afford as a single mother. And then at the age of nine, we moved out of state into a new location. And that was a challenge for me because my identity was so deeply entrenched in the previous city that I was in, right? That was my identity. That's where I went to school. That's where my friends, that's where I went to the playground. Everything I knew was in the previous, you know, as I I refer to as previous box, that comfort zone. And at nine, I was forced out of it into a brand new space and having to adapt and allow myself to be embraced and accepted by kids that didn't know who I was, neither did I know who they were. And then guess what? I was able to adapt. And then at the age of 17, right before my senior year of high school, we moved again. But this time it was me that created this move because I, I didn't need, I didn't want to be in the same environment environment anymore. And I felt like it was time for me to change. So we moved once again at right before my senior year, but it wasn't as intimidating. It wasn't as dreadful. Right. And so the reason I say all of those things is because within every single one of those experiences, it was, it was, it was preparing me. It was allowing me to understand that change necessarily isn't always bad. It doesn't have to be this intimidating thing. Change is a part of life. I had a goal. It was a silly goal when I was a kid, a dream that I wanted to be a, a professional athlete one day, right? And that's what I saw on TV. That's what I love to play. And so I was like, that makes sense. It didn't happen for two reasons. One, because I wasn't literally physically that gifted to be able to become a professional athlete, but I believed I was. But no one ever stopped me and said, oh, well, what if that doesn't work out for you, JR? What's the alternative? What are you, how are you going to pivot? How are you going to adapt? We're not taught those skills. And the second reason it didn't happen is because I really believe that that wasn't my purpose. That wasn't my destiny in life. I am supposed to be doing what I'm doing today. So, so to circle back to your question, I think in order for us to get to that place of where we're able to develop these skills and these, these tools in order to be able to adapt and persevere through any adversity and challenge and bits of change that presents, presents itself to us, is that we have to literally allow ourselves in these other adversities that may seem minor or minute or not, not, nothing major in comparison to the major life events, within that is the lesson. Within that is the opportunity for you to almost kind of develop your armor and, and to make it stronger. So that way, when the major thing happens in your life, you're prepared and you have the right armor and the right tools. I know that sounds like, what is he talking about, right? Think of like COVID, right? COVID has forced all of us to stop. I mean, literally just come to a halt. 
And we have had to sit with ourselves. We've had to sit with our spouses. We've had to sit with our family, our friends in and a certain still do, space. To a degree. And still do it to a degree. Exactly. For me, what I have challenged people over the last year and a half, whatever it may be, is that in this moment where we have time, what work are you doing? What work are you actually doing? Like I said to a friend of mine the other day, I was like, he's like, man, well, when I have these thoughts or these feelings, I just take a nap. And I said to him, I said, well, I mean, I kind of have a different approach to that. I think you're not, you're finding distraction from actually sitting with the emotions and dealing with it, being present with them. You need to work to a place to actually sit with it, sit with those thoughts, sit with those feelings, and then be able to understand how to manipulate and exactly what you just asked me. So if my friend is like, well, what happens if I have a thought that it says, well, I'm never going to find, you know, a girl to love me um, because I have all these tattoos. And it's like, well, okay. In that moment, you have to like flip your mind to sit here and say, well, maybe I'm going to find a girl out there that one is going to love the story of every element of my tattoos is going to love the character and, and the experience that comes with every single one of those, those tattoos that you have. There's somebody out there for everybody. He's, he's like, well, what's going to, I'm never one day, my career field, you know, like my, I don't have a lot of money right now. My credit is, is not the greatest and I'm like, yeah, but you then have to remind yourself you are where you are today from a financial standpoint because of decisions you made previously. Mm -hmm. Reward yourself for the decisions that you've made in the last eight months in the direction you've moved in. Start telling yourself, well, that was because that was the old me. Now I'm the new me that has new characteristics, new thoughts, new goals, new plans, new tools. I'm going to be able to create wealth for myself. And it doesn't necessarily mean have to be six figures, seven figures over and over and over. It's probably just simply in the hell, in the sense of just having financial freedom of saying, I've paid my debt. I have a modest little home and it's enough for me and it works for me and my family. So from, from, and, and I kept giving him all these examples because I know him, you know, we've known each other for a very long time. And I'm like, look at all you've persevered through. But because it wasn't the major thing, he was missing the opportunity and the lesson that came in those experiences for him to identify, oh, I do have what it takes because I've already been doing it. I didn't realize that. But we're such a society that we spend so much time and energy looking for the major reveal, right? All of us are ex expecting that there's going to be a billboard on every road that we drive on that's going to say, here's the direction you should be going in in your life. Now, I don't know where you live and I don't know where half of the people live that are listening to this right now, but I can tell you where I live, there aren't a lot of billboards. <laughs> there aren't a lot of signs up above. So the point is, is that where there are signs on the roads that I travel on in my community are at eye level, right? Are the ones that tell you slow down here, speed up here, stop here, be patient here, turn here, you can't turn there. But we ignore those signs. Now, I know that most of us do pay attention to them because they're the law, right? Street signs. But the metaphor is that we're ignoring all the very simple, basic signs that are presented to us on a daily basis. It's those signs that if we paid attention, if we listen, and if we got to a point of trusting that the universe has our back, literally, the universe has our back. But it's up to us to be willing to actually say, yo, I don't have anything else. I might as well gamble and go for this and see what, what happens. You'll discover it'll reward you a little bit, just enough to give you a taste of it that you'll start to take off from that point on.
How did you begin to recognize the signs that life's life presents in front of you? So first time was when I went to that patient's room six months after I was injured and saw that he had lights on, right? Then I, instead of ignoring that experience and saying, oh, well, that felt good. Instead, what I did is I went and started visiting patients every single day in between my own appointments. So literally every day I would have my appointments in the morning because I was still very much a patient and recovering, having to go to occupational therapy and visit with my doctors. And then in the afternoon, probably around four o'clock, I would start walking around the burn ward and literally walking in, knocking on doors, walking in and just introducing myself saying, hi, my name is JR. I was burned in Iraq. Um, this is what happened to me. This is degree. This is what my recovery has been like. You know, do you have any questions? And the patient would sit there. If the patient was able to communicate, the patient would say, oh man, that's crazy. Like what, have you had this procedure done? Have you had that done? Right. Or a family member. Oh, well, thank you for stopping in. What has this been like for you? And, and have, you know, like, did you get range of motion back? Right. So when I started doing that, I started, what I found again was this ability to serve, was ability to give back, was this, this fulfillment of, oh man, I, I, the thing that I was disappointed that I wasn't going to be able to do anymore in the military was this idea of being able to serve. I wasn't going to be able to serve anymore. And then suddenly I realized, oh wait, I can still serve in a different capacity. So I started visiting all these patients every single day. I got involved with the nonprofit, became a spokesman after, after uh, I, I got involved with them, started doing press, right? Locally, locally in, in, in a small, well, San Antonio, Texas, where is where I was recovering. And I was doing press there locally, just talking about veterans and talking about the challenges. All of a sudden, you know, people started calling me and saying, hey, we want you to be on this bigger show and be on this bigger show. And we want you to come and speak at this audience, right? And then I remember the first time someone asked me to come and speak and they wanted me to speak for about 30 minutes. And I was like, no way can I talk <laughs> for 30 minutes straight. Now, listen, I don't know how long we've been talking already. I think you realize <laughs> I can talk for 30 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I have no problem talking for 30 minutes or 45, 60 or two days straight. Like I can do that. And I finally just allowed myself to trust and go and listen and, and, and people that were encouraging me to do it. And I did it. And, and, and then someone else encouraged me to go try out to become an actor. And I was like, I was paying attention to the patterns that I had experienced up until that point and saying, okay, I've been introduced to all of these different things and I've managed to do well. So why, why would I stop now? Apparently I, I have to clearly trust what life is putting in front of me and go for it. And I remember the first time this acting experience presented itself, they told me it was going to be three months. That was it. I had no prior acting experience at all. And they said three months, that's how long this opportunity is going to be. And I was like, three months to be on a TV show. That's cool. I'll do it. And I auditioned, I got the part, but I came to work every single day, willing to learn every single day. I didn't come into that studio thinking like, oh, this is going to be cool for three months and I'm just going to milk it and, 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 and I'm just going to like, you know, just, you know, phone it in, right? I'm just going to do whatever I got to do because I know I'm going to be here for three months. No, I came to work every day willing to learn and willing to listen, willing to pay attention and talk to the other actors, pick their brains, people that had trained their whole life for this opportunity. And I started like incorporating a little bit of the stuff that I started to pick up and, and witness before you know it, man. Three months turned into six months, turned into nine months, turned into a year, turned into three years of me being on that show until the show went off the air. 
And then another opportunity presents itself, Dancing with the Stars. By the time I got to Dancing with the Stars, I was like, dude, I, I get it. Okay, I'm going. Life is presenting change and opportunities with me. I just got to trust it and go because it has not led me, steered me in the wrong direction thus far. So from, again, I share all of that and I know it's a lot and it's a long-winded answer to your question, but I want the listener to understand that I didn't just come out of a coma, a medical induced coma that was, I was in for three weeks and then just say, okay, this is what I'm going to do with my life. And here I go. No, there were all these little things that along the route allowed me to identify that I had the skills and the ability to do the very thing that I'm doing today, which is to be a motivator, which is to be a speaker, which is to be a beacon of hope and light and inspiration to a lot of people. I never would have been able to identify those things in myself had I not gone back to six months after I was injured and just listened to that nurse that was encouraging me to visit that patient. I wouldn't have discovered all of this that I had the ability to do and that I have the impact that I've been able to have in people's lives over the last 18 years. And that's what I want people to understand. When you look at my life, don't think, oh, well, he just, I mean, he's just like a chosen one, right? He just, he's given this, I was 19 years old. A lot of the experiences that I had up until that point in my life, unfortunately, a lot of people have experiences like that, where a parent isn't around, they move a lot, they, they feel completely disconnected from their peers and their community. They've dealt with change. Why do I, why would my experience seem any different than most of people's in the world? It shouldn't, and it isn't. The only thing that separates me from everybody else that has had similar childhood that I had is that I was willing to actually trust what life was putting in front of me. And the more that I started to see, oh, it works. Oh, okay, this pays off. I just, I mean, I hit the ground running. And to the point now, I'm so conditioned. I'm so conditioned with, with dealing with change that if things are sort of calm in my life, professionally and personally, I'm uncomfortable. I panic. I need to create change in my life in order for me to be at peace and comfort, right? That's the reverse of what most of us feel. Most of us, when everything, nothing's happening, I'm at peace. When change happens, I panic. When there's peace for me, I panic. And that's all because I've, I've experienced so much change that it doesn't intimidate me anymore. So I'm always looking for opportunities. I'm always looking for a chance for me to grow and evolve as a human being first, and then whatever professionally that I'm doing to evolve in that field as well. I'm the same exact way. I think when it comes to change, I've, I've just embraced it as something that's inevitable. I mean, it's going to mm -hmm. happen with or without you. And when I understood that, I kind of just had a, a perspective shift as far as I might as well be a participant of it. Yep. If it's going to happen regardless, I might as well be a participant of it, try to learn from it, try to be whatever it is that it's helping me to realize that I may not have realized before, which brings another interesting question for me. And that's, I think it's something that you've hinted on a couple of times. And that is, do you believe that at the end of the day, it truly boiled down to a choice? Absolutely. But I want people to understand that it isn't just one choice, right? It isn't one choice that we make. It's one choice that leads to another opportunity to make another choice. And then that choice leads us to another opportunity to make another choice. But I do not get it 
do not misinterpret that you have to, similar to us wanting nice things in life, people want a nice house, people want a nice car, people want nice, you know, clothing, apparel, whatever. Most of us are not in the position where we can go, excuse me, and just buy that item cash, straight cash, homie. Most of us are not in that position where we can just throw cash down on the counter and say, all right, we're walking out of here with this item. We're not. Most of us have to make payments for, for nice things that we want. And those payments can, can, can stem from 24 months to 36 months to 30 years, depending on what it is, right? For home. That's life, though. That's the same thing. Most of us want nice, a nice life and nice freedom and happiness and joy and to feel fulfilled and we're worthy and we're, you know, our purpose. Like we want to identify with all those things. Well, the reason, the reason you're able to obtain those things is because you frequently have to make a choice. I today, J.R. Martinez today, that has had an incredible career and has had the opportunity to do a lot of amazing things, still today have to wake up in the morning and make a choice. Today is going to be a great day. It isn't, I don't get to just bask and, 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 and say, well, I made this decision 10 years ago. I'm good. Well, if I'm complacent with life and I'm just going to coast, then yeah, that's fine. Hey, I'm not going to judge that if you're okay with that. But for me, I'm only 38 years old. There's a whole world out there and a whole life that I still want to experience that I have not even tapped into. I'm currently a college student. I'm going to school, not because I need it for what I do for a profession, because I want to challenge myself. I want to grow. I want to learn from other students. I want to learn from other professors. Or, or, or professors, not other professors, but professors <laughs> you know, implying like I'm not a yet. professor now. Yeah. But I want to learn from professors. I want to learn from an institution to give me some other resources and knowledge that I didn't have before. So for me, every day I have to practice positivity, pra practice positivity. That is the exercise that I do every single day. I'm at a stage of life right now, man. I'll tell you, things are really foggy right now in my, in my life. And the reason why is because we, my family, my wife and I, we have a newborn at the house, right? Things are really foggy. Listen, that's the way life is. Life is going to have its phases where things are foggy. You're just surviving. You're getting through, but you're paying attention. As long as you're moving forward, the, you'll, you'll eventually get to the end of that tunnel and you're like, oh, there's a little bit of light. And the light for my wife and I one day is going to be where we actually can sleep through the night without having to wake up and change a diaper and feed our, you know, our newborn every couple of hours. So I want people to really take away, if there's nothing else you take away from me, is that I want you to understand that there were so many moments over the course of the last 18 years where things were quiet. I had nothing but time to sit with my thoughts, sit with my feelings. And instead of me looking for distraction, instead of me looking for, you know, something else to do to take my mind off of it, I actually sat with it. And if, if, if I felt like crying, I allowed myself to cry. Now, I would cry in a private area because I wasn't completely comfortable quite yet with people to cry in front of people and being vulnerable. And I wasn't there yet. So I would cry by myself and listen and pay attention to the feelings and the thoughts that I was having. I, so much of the work that I have done 
came in those moments. Some of the, so much of me being able to be the person that I am today is because of the work that I did in those moments. Instead of looking for distraction and avoiding and looking for something else to fill it, whether it's an item or whether it's a person, which is what I did for a very long time, instead of dealing with my emotions and my insecurities and why I felt this way and why I felt that way, what did I do? I actually looked for people to fill that void for me. And the problem that I found myself running into is that because I didn't identify and understand what I needed and what I needed to work on, I was going blindly to people that were in my circle and hoping and expecting them to fulfill that thing within me. Mm -hmm. And they're like, dude, we're just trying to be your friend. Or a girl's like, I just enjoy your company. I'm just trying to hang out. I don't want all this pressure and this responsibility that I have to fix your stuff and I have to be this and be that and be this and be that. Well, the reality is I shouldn't have been putting that on anybody else. I should have been actually identifying, doing that work myself to be able to identify what do I need to work on myself and work through. So that way, when I go into any sort of relationship, whether even it's a friendship or an actual relationship, an intimate one, I'm not bringing that baggage. I'm not bringing that pressure and that expectation that that person has to fulfill all of that. So I'm asking people that while we're still in the space of where we're somewhat isolated from one another, we still have a little bit more time on our hands. I'm asking you, pay attention to a feeling that you frequently have had. Pay attention to a pattern of maybe relationships not working out. Why is that? Stop putting the blame on other people saying, well, it's because I choose the, the, the wrong people. Well, why are you choosing the wrong people? It's like, I, 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 you know, on my podcast, I have a podcast called Rebirth with J.R. Martinez. And there was a gentleman named Sam Morris that uh, is paralyzed from the waist down. And we met at a conference about two years ago and I had him on the podcast and he said something so profound. He was paralyzed because he was in a car accident. Um, he was in the he was a passenger in a car that with the driver had been drinking. And he said to me, and I, and I asked him, I was like, you know, as far as like this, this, this element of getting to this place of forgiveness and, you know, the driver, that, that's where my mind went. I'm like, the driver had was drinking and he wasn't really aware that he had drink, he had, had consumed that much alcohol. And now he's paralyzed for the rest of his life. And he said, well, JR, to be honest, I had to forgive myself first. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, I had to forgive myself because I'm the one that, that chose to get in that car. Yeah. I didn't know how much he consumed, but I know he consumed alcohol. Mm -hmm. I made the choice. And for me, that was such a, ah, yes. We spend so much time blaming other people for what transpires in our life. Yet at the end of the day, we are the ones that made the choice that put ourselves there, right? Mm -hmm. We are the ones that put ourselves in that relationship with that individual. We are the ones that put ourselves in that space that things happen. So the first thing we have to do is one, give ourselves grace and, and forgive ourselves for the decision and choices that we make. That's part of life. We're learning, but I want people to actually do that work. I think if you're open to the idea of doing that work and you identify the right people that have the right skills and have the right ability to meet you where you are, then you're going to stop repeating certain patterns, but don't expect the pattern to all of a sudden change just because you think you found a different person things will catch up to you. What you try to submerge and drown and kill, if you just try to push it down, it always finds it. It always survives. That is the consistent thing that always finds itself resurfacing. So I just encourage people to actually find some space and some time to be vulnerable with yourself, to be intimate with yourself. 
a lot of times when people hear intimacy, they hear the word intimacy, they think of with other people. No, you have to learn how to be intimate with yourself. It starts with you. I, being able to have emotional intelligence about your own emotions, about your own feelings, about your own thoughts, being able to process that. Like I have to frequently sit with my feelings even now. If, I, if there's an argument with my wife, I have to pay attention. Well, why did I say that? Mm-hmm. Why did I do that? Oh man, I'm repeating old habits. I'm repeating old patterns. Okay, I got to go to her. I got to you know, say, I'm sorry. Or if she does something, And she comes to me and says, I identify what I did. I'm sorry. Listen, it's hard for people to apologize. One of the biggest things that my wife has taught me, because I was the type of person that if you you did something wrong and you apologize to me, I would still go after you. I would still, you know, sort of attack you and shame you in a way because I was so hurt because loyalty and your word is everything to me. And what I now have learned that when people come and apologize, show grace embrace that apology and say, it's all right and move on. You know, there's, there's one thing that really stood out to me from what you just shared. And this is a personal philosophy that I believe in. And that's this concept of the problem is you. And what I mean by that is I was very fortunate to have had a a similar set of circumstances throughout my life where I became very aware of how I continue to show up in, especially in conflict related situations And at previous chapters of my life, I was that individual that I would point the finger and I would say, there's no way it's me. It's everything that he or she said, he or she did. But the reality of the matter is when I started to look closely, I started to realize that in every single situation with no exceptions, I also played a role. Mm -hmm. I also had said things that I may not have wanted to say. I had done things. And I find that to be fascinating where I was able to come to this realization that if the problem was me, which really is, if you if you really think about it, in any given event and situation, the reason why I believe the problem is you is because you are the one that's processing that situation. Yeah. You are the one that's interpreting that for what it is. You are the one that's creating a story behind it. You're creating meaning out of the circumstances that you've been or I've been. We also can create purpose. Mm-hmm. So really, you start that. You start that journey and you can also end that journey. And I realized when I, when I had that realization, it was just one of those mind-blowing moments where the problem is you. And it, it gave me an element of what you just described, and that's acceptance and forgiveness. Yep. When I started to realize yep. that the problem is me, it's like, wow, that means I can actually take a step back, analyze it for what it is, forgive myself for whatever I had done or I had said, and keep moving forward. The other thing that I found fascinating, which is something that you've also mentioned, and that's that desire to be right. Desire to be right when it comes to situations. And I've I've noticed myself in the recent years, really giving up that concept. Because at the end of the day, I mean, what is right to begin with? (laughs) Is your lens any better than mine? Or is it simply different? Or is it simply a different and a unique perspective according to this set of experiences that you've had? And I realized that in looking at it through that lens, A, I became a lot more accepting of change mm-hmm. because change is happening Change is happening right now as we're having yeah. this conversation. Perspectives are being shifted. Questions are being raised. And I realized in that moment that 
being open to change, accepting and receiving it really changed my life, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, I feel exactly the same way. Uh, once I accepted and embraced this idea that, listen, I'm scarred, I'm going to be scarred for the rest of my life. And then I started to shift my mindset and be able to identify that there's beauty in these scars, that there's a story in these scars, that there is something incredibly courageous in these scars, right? Like I was able to survive something that not a lot of people, you know, have been able yeah, to survive. Statistically speaking. It, it's... Yeah. I mean, I've been incredibly blessed. I mean, and, and, and so you know, I just started to kind of have honor in the fact that, yeah, I have scars on my face and scars on my head and scars on my arms, my back and my legs. It's fine with me. Cool. You know, because at the end of the day, it gives me a story. And then I started to kind of, then I started to uh, understand that, you know, prior to my injury, I was this guy that this kid that, you know, really kind of basked in his appearance, his looks. And I could tell you that, you know, I was, I was a handsome young man. That's what I would hear frequently. And so I felt like I always got a lot of attention because of my looks. Now, again, I'm not saying like I was this crazy model or anything like that. I was just, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, in certain circles, people were like, oh, he's a handsome young man. Right. And so I just became very superficial and very surface. And after my injury, which to me, I look at, it, I'm like, oh, this was my lesson. That it's not just surface, JR. Beauty is deeper than that. Because right after I was injured and I saw my face, you know what I would say to people? I was like, but I have no personality. Like, who's going to want to be with me? I have no personality. Because no one ever came up to me and said, man, I love your personality. You're funny. Like, you're nice. You actually love to get along with people. No, people would actually just be like, you're handsome. <laughs> and so my identity was deeply entrenched in my appearance and my looks. So suddenly now when I have this new appearance, this new look, I had to get to, and once I got to the place of embracing and accepting it, I then started realizing, wait, I'm still, I'm still, my looks are still the thing that gets me a lot of attention. Just in a very different way. Now I have sort of some substance and context behind the scars now. Now, if someone looks at me because they see my scars, they may not immediately think I'm handsome. And that's fine. I understand that. They're going to look at me and they're curious, what happened to this guy? Wherever they see me, most of the time, they're going to see me laughing and joking and clowning around, or maybe just kind of going up to them in a grocery store and saying, what's up? How you doing today? That it's going to, and so that moment that I get them to look at me and pause is an opportunity for me to connect with them and to sort of educate them the next time they encounter someone that has a quote unquote disfigurement like I do, that they look at them and say, you know what? It's deeper than the surface. It's more than that. And I think that was one of the biggest lessons that I had to learn. And so oddly enough, before my injury, looks were my thing. Since my injury, looks is still my thing in a very different way. But now I have more information that comes with the thing that gets you to stop and look at me. Not that you were counting, but how long would you say it took you to get comfortable with the burns and everything that? Oh, man. man, I was injured in, in 2003. I was in the hospital for almost three years. So I got out of the hospital in 2006. Um, veterans, they call it the civilian world. I got into the civilian world 
And um, it probably took an additional two years. So I'd say about five years after, five years after I was injured is when I finally got to a place because for three years that I was in a hospital recovering, everything was all about physical, right? Physical things to be functional, meaning, you know, my hand, I didn't have range of motion, right? So it's doing procedures that would allow me to have range of motions. My hand, once upon a time, they call a claw. It was literally like this. I had no range of motion on it. So it's doing a lot of occupational therapy, massaging, getting the hand to be able to do this, learning how to button my button, learning how to walk, learning, learning how to feed myself, learning how to hold different things. Um, plastic surgeries, because maybe this because this side of my face was burned so badly that the scar tissue pulled down on my lip. So re creating releases, my eyes, my eyes, because my head is burned, it literally pulled the skin in opposite direction. So what they did is they go in and make do releases. So that way I can close my eyes and that way I can actually, my eyes can be moisturized, right? And so they don't dry out and they, they can protect my eyes, right? So there was a lot of all this cosmetic stuff and a lot of surface stuff, just sort of functioning stuff that took place for the first three years. But then when I got out and I felt like physically I was in a good place, well, then the emotional stuff started to surface. All the stuff that I didn't necessarily realize. I thought I was good. I was like, oh, three years, I'm good. I'm getting out into the world. I'm 22 years old. Then the emotional stuff started to surface because now I was in the world and the world didn't have to treat me a certain way. The world was just busy and living their lives versus the three years that I was on a military base. People knew me, people acknowledged me, like there was attention. It was a smaller, you know, community. I get into this big ocean of the of, of society, and all of a sudden I feel lost and overwhelmed. That's when a lot of my insecurity started to surface. That's when a lot of the sort of the thoughts and the, the questions and the conversations that I was having with myself, negative ones started to surface because I didn't feel like I connected with anybody. So again, I mean, I remember the first time when I was intimate with a, another person, with a woman, and I remember like getting to a point of like having to reveal my scars on my, on my back and my arms and, and trying to make sure that this person did not see as much of it as I could control. I mean, I wasn't comfortable and it finally came five years after I was injured. And it, what it was, it was my best friend one day sat me down and he said, listen, man, you need to cry. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you need to cry. You've healed physically. You haven't healed emotionally. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was just resisting this notion that I needed to cry and allow myself to be vulnerable. And then all of a sudden I started crying. And I can tell you that that moment was so powerful in my recovery because shortly after I started to look at life a lot differently. First, I felt like I can trust somebody and I can be vulnerable with somebody. I didn't have to walk around sort of keeping my head up or cry by myself in a room by myself. I can cry with somebody else. And this person didn't judge me. This person didn't use it against me. This person literally just sat there and listened and encouraged me to continue to do the thing that I needed to do, which was cry. And then I started to just kind of develop this attitude because I was like, you know what? If I allow myself to be consumed by other people that are looking at me every day, that are doing double takes, that are staring at me, if I, allow, if I give them the power, then what life am I really going to be able to live? So what I'd sort of made the decision, and probably this isn't the healthiest way of going about it, I decided I'm going to take that power back. And what I started doing is I literally started 
it's sort of developing this little bit of an attitude like, hey, if you don't like it, that's on you. Right. Like it was a little bit of a, a harsh, you know, concept. Now I didn't say it to people. It was just sort of, I had this edge to me that, you know what, if you don't like it, if you don't, if you're not willing to listen and to understand why I look the way that I look, that's on you. God be with you. I'm going my own way. You go your own way. Right. I just started to in, develop this mindset. And then I started to then, okay, I got to take the edge off of it a little bit, JR. Right. It, it, it doesn't have to be so harsh. And so, you know, it's, so then I started adding, okay, replacing it with humor. Then I would, you know, okay. Like, like the first time I remember one of the times I was at a store and there was a young man that was staring at me and I remember looking at him and I was like, can I help you? And he was like, wow, you, you know, you don't look normal. That's what he said to me. And in that moment I had a choice in that moment. I had a choice that I could easily have said, you're right. I don't look normal. Throw it threw down whatever items I was holding and ran home and never showed my face again. Instead, I decided I'm not going to give you the power. Why am I giving you power over my day, over my life? And so what I did is I responded to him and I said, well, that's funny because I'm looking at you thinking the same exact thing. You don't look normal to me because what is normal? And suddenly we were sitting there having this conversation about what is normal. And then it ended with him saying, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. And I was like, it's good, man. It's cool. I reclaimed my life. I took the power away from that individual, from the circumstance, from strangers and said, no, I'm in control of my destiny, my route. That's on me. And until like going back to the problem is you until you identify and understand that you are the one that is actually in the driver's seat. You've always been in the driver's seat. You're just allowing people in the in other seats of the car to reach over and grab the steering wheel for you a little bit, but you're still in the driver's seat. So until you understand and say, Hey, I got this sit over there, stop being a backseat driver, a passenger seat driver. I got this and put your hands on the steering wheel, reclaim power of this this thing that is moving, I'm telling you, your life is going to change so much. I'm not lying to you. I'm not the only one that has said this. I'm not going to be the last one that has said this. Trust me, but you have to be willing to listen, to be vulnerable and to trust and to be willing to actually embrace every new opportunity that comes your way. Mm -hmm. JR, how do people connect with you and what do you have coming up? So uh, you can hit me up on Instagram. I am JR Martinez. You can go to my website, jrmartinez.com. Uh, you know, the biggest thing, thank you for that question. I mean, the biggest thing right now is I have my podcast. I'm getting ready to launch the uh, next season. It's called Rebirth with JR Martinez. If you go to my Instagram or my website, you can find a link to it. Um, and it's similar to what you're doing, man. I just really love talking to people. I really love learning how people have had to reinvent, reimagine, and recreate themselves, recreate, you know, have rebirths. The name of it's rebirth. And the reason why I named it that is because the day that I was injured, I really believe that parts of me died that day and other parts of me were born. I had a rebirth. And I believe that all of us frequently experience rebirths over the course of our lives. That going back to the very beginning of this, of this episode of talking about, you know, so much of our identities are always going to change and evolve. And that's an opportunity for a rebirth. And if you can look at it as an opportunity for a rebirth, meaning something beautiful, something will die, but that means something beautiful within surface. If you can embrace that notion, 
I'm telling you, there's endless possibilities. So I encourage people to come and hit me up and ask questions and, you know, and share whatever thoughts, you know, you have with me and uh, let's just continue to have dialogue. That's what I love. I just love having conversation and dialogue with people. It's for me, it's never about I'm telling you what I'm telling you and you just sit there and listen. No, I tell you what I tell you. And then I stop and I listen to what you tell and you tell me. And that's the way it should work. We should spend more time listening to one another instead of just on the surface, hearing one another, we're not actively present. So uh, thank you, man, for this opportunity. This was, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, hopefully we can do it again. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.